So this last chapter in the book of Leviticus, it deals with making vows to the Lord and also the giving of tithes. Most of it is about making a vow to the Lord. And they have different types of vows that can be made to the Lord. And every vow has a valuation that's attached to it. And so for Israel, this is teaching the nation of Israel when they make a vow. Remember, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Any more of these is from the evil one. So Jesus suggests don't get caught up in making vows. And I think part of Leviticus 27 was a reminder to the children of Israel that there is cost involved in making a vow to the Lord. But regarding making vows to the Lord, the key verse that I pulled out is about tithing. Because I believe um, Leviticus 20. 7 verse 32 is probably the clearest example of what it means to tithe by counting the flock. And so that we'd have to be out, you know, farmers and agrarian society and have being shepherds and we have our sheep out in the field and we want to count our sheep. We put them under the rod and they pass through the gate, we might say. And Basically, this is not basically, this is what the word says, Leviticus 27:32, concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. So if you had 10 sheep, the tenth sheep belongs to the Lord. If you have 20 sheep, number 10 and number 20 belong to the Lord. You can keep doing multiples of that, but it's pretty clear that number 10, number 20, number 30, number 40. And God said, don't even get selective. Whatever comes under the rod, that's mine. So if a real healthy sheep, and we'll get to this, comes under the rod, and the owner of the sheep says, well, I'll just switch them out for a less healthy one. Why should I sacrifice the healthy one to the Lord? God said, then both sheep are mine. It's not a win-win for the worshiper. So it comes at a cost. You want to switch it out? That's fine. I'll take two, says God. But that is tithing. So I chose that as a key verse for the chapter. But regarding making vows to the Lord, a person could make a vow to the Lord because, well, God maybe did some good thing for that individual or perhaps the individual wanted some great thing from the Lord, had a great need And so he made such a commitment to the Lord. The vows that are being dealt with in this chapter are the giving of a person, an animal, a house, or a field. And so that's how they break it down in the chapter. A person, an animal, a house, or a field. And whatever the vow may have been, it was presented before the Lord at the tabernacle or temple, then given to the priest. And it was the priest who gave and set valuations on the items God did for the people. That was already set. There was only one exception on that for redemption. But as far as animals and houses and lands and fields, those were evaluated by the priest and all came at a cost. It came at a cost to the worshiper, but really talking about the redemption of the item dedicated to the Lord that if the person wanted to redeem it back, it's always the valuation of the item vowed to the Lord plus 20%. 
So uh, still at a cost. So dealing with men, women, and children, verses 1 through 8. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying to them, When a man consecrates by a vow certain persons to the Lord according to your valuation, if your valuation is of a male of 20 years old and up to 60 years old, I'm already beyond this list, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If a female, then your valuation shall be 30 shekels of silver. If from five years old up to 20 years old, then your valuation for the male shall be 20 shekels of 20 shekels and for the female 10 shekels. If from a month old up to five years old, then your valuation for the male shall be five shekels of silver and for the female your valuation shall be three shekels of silver if from 60 years old and above if a male then your valuation shall be 15 shekels for the female I I think I'm still worth more than 15 shekels but for the female 10 shekels but if he too is too poor and here's the exception if he is too poor to pay your valuation, then he shall present himself before the priest. The priest shall set the value for him. This means someone wanting to buy back from the Lord. The priest shall set the value for him according to the ability of him who vowed it. And the priest shall value him. And so the vow, the valuations of the person, whether men, women, or children, were set by the Lord by sex either male or female or child, and by age, uh, whether the person is a child in the prime of their life, that 20 to 60-year-old bracket, or nearing or beyond retirement, that 60-plus bracket. All these valuations were given given by the Lord for the people. It was a set price of either 50 or 30 shekels if you were 20, to 60 years old, 50 for the male, 30 for the female, 20 or 10 shekels, uh, five for the male, or 20 for the male, 10 for the female from five to 20 years old, and then one month, they couldn't go below one month, but one month to five years old, five shekels for the male, three shekels for the female, and then 60 and older. 15 shekels for the male, 10 for the female. So the valuation price was regulated, therefore, according to the capacity or vigor of life, uh, whether male or female, the amount had been set. The only exception, again, was someone wanting to redeem back. The redemption was always whatever the value was plus 20%. Someone who is poor, who cannot afford even the valuation, or the 20% on top of it, the priest would decide what that valuation would be for that individual. Today, we each have value to the Lord because of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. So there are no set values in the church life today. All I can think of for this, and I looked through seven commentaries probably, about the male versus female part of this, why the male is more. And nobody really gave a good explanation. Some of them didn't even try to talk about it. Just avoid the subject. That's the way to handle it. Um, I think because it was an agrarian society, 
and a lot of field work was taking place and stuff. That valuation was based off of, well, two ways. One, because of the strength of male versus female. It's just kind of a given in that sense that men are stronger. I know that in our world today, they're trying to say that that's not true. But uh, one of the gals that David Fiorazzo had on one of his shows was a gal who um, lived a life as a man for several years and now claims and knows she is a woman and is married. Pretty amazing testimony. She had said um, that there's something like 2,700 differences between male and female. One of them that I remember was grip strength, that males just naturally have a stronger grip strength than female. And she was going through some of the lists. There's just some uh, inherently thing that uh, reflects males sometimes quicker in that. It was for a long time why the show Jeopardy had a lot of male champions because they were just quicker to press the button, maybe used to playing video games all the time, and the girls aren't. But, you know, there was just this, it was off. All you have to do is press it quick, and they could press quick. So the valuation won, uh, just because of the society they lived in, also in the Bible. Um, Adam was first and the head of his household, and so the valuation might follow in that as well. So we go to the animals, verses 9 through 13. If it is an animal that men may bring as an offering to the Lord, all that anyone gives to the Lord shall be holy. He shall not substitute it or exchange it, good for bad or bad for good. And if he at all exchanges animal for animal, then both it and the one exchange shall be holy. It belongs to the Lord. If it is an unclean animal which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord, then he shall present the animal before the priest, and the priest shall set the value for it, whether it is good or bad, as you, the priest, value it, so it shall be. But if he wants at all to redeem it, then he must add one-fifth, 20%, to the valuation. So the animals here are... um, categorized as either clean or unclean. The clean animals could not be bought back. The clean animals were given to the Lord as a sacrifice to the Lord. So they would be sacrificed. You couldn't get your lamb, your goats, your oxen back, even if you paid 20% over the cost. And if you tried to switch out animals again, both belong to the Lord. So no one would ever want to switch unless they just want to give God a double offering. I mean, that would be the only reason behind it. Uh, Here, Lord, take two. But if it was an unclean animal, then the valuation would be set. So a clean animal would be um, that of, you know, a lamb, a goat, an oxen, unclean, a donkey, mule, camel. Uh, These would be set at a value. They could not be offered as a sacrifice they could be redeemed at a, the value plus 20%. If they were not redeemed, most likely they were given to the priest. So that is the animals. And you make a vow to the Lord concerning an animal. Of houses, when a man dedicates his house to be holy to the Lord, then the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall stand 
If he who dedicates it wants to redeem his house, he must add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it. It shall be his, verses 14 and 15. So like the unclean animals, once the valuation is set here on a house, the valuation is set by the priest. So they must have some good realtor priest back in the days. They could do appraisals on animals, on houses, and on land. They, have to, they had to do it all. But whatever the valuation was, if you wanted to redeem the house back to yourself, the valuation plus one-fifth or 20%, if the house was not redeemed, if it was in a city, in a walled city, they had one year to redeem it, and then it was always holy to the Lord and belonged to the priests. So you only had a year if the house was in a walled city. And that's probably what it's talking about because other houses might be connected to farmland, got the old farmhouse out there. That might just be part of the land. And then there's that chance for the family inheritance. As we see, and we're going to go through quick on this, as we see in verses 16 through 25, got two different types of dedicated land. In verses 16 through 21, we have people who dedicate land from their own inheritance. And then 22 through 25, people who might dedicate land that they have leased from someone else. And because it actually didn't belong to them, it was handled a bit differently. First, the land dedicated from one's inheritance. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the field of his possession... Then your valuation shall be according to the seed for it. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. So God is setting the price here. And this is talking about what it takes to sow the field. And so you're talking about it's uh, springtime. You're going to sow the field. How much will it cost to sow the field? If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee... According to your valuation, it shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the jubilee, then the priest shall reckon to him the money due according to the years that remain till the jubilee, and it shall be deducted from your valuation. 19. And if he who dedicates the field ever wishes to redeem it, then he must add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall belong to him. But if he does not want to redeem the field... Or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it is released in Jubilee, shall be holy to the Lord. As devoted field, it shall be the possession of the priests. So if they end up selling the field while they've dedicated it wholly to the Lord, the year of Jubilee, they lose that inheritance. It does not revert back to the family, but remains with the priests. But if they do not sell the field and do nothing with it in the year of Jubilee, it reverts back to the family because it belongs to the family inheritance. But if they want to redeem it, and there's 49 years, and so the price was the valuation according to the seed, 50 shekels of silver for a homer of barley, so whatever that could plant. That was in verse 16. If they had 10 years, it was a multiple of 50 shekels of silver, depending on how much barley seed they would have. That could be higher than that, of course. 
depending on how much field they dedicated, but they would do it by multiple of 10. If they had 10 years left until Jubilee, if they had 20 years left until Jubilee, it was always the multiple of the cost plus 20%. So always came at a cost. So the year of Jubilee ensured that the tribal lands remained in their designated territories uh, to the designated tribes and the families within those tribes. And it, it really, I think it, I said this in one of the earlier teachings in Leviticus, it allowed future generations to kind of get a fresh start with lands that maybe their family had mismanaged and even lost. You know, parents or grandparents kind of mess things up, but the children or grandchildren get an opportunity at the year of Jubilee to start all over again with the land remaining in the family name. And so always things dedicated to the Lord, the redemption plus the cost of 20%. One exception was that the family's inherited land was not redeemed before the year of Jubilee was sold to another, then it became a devoted field in the possession of the priest. It became unredeemable. And then if they dedicate land that they have leased, verses 22 through 25, Scripture says, if a man dedicates to the Lord a field which has he has bought, which is not the field of his possession, then the priest shall reckon to him the worth of your valuation up to the year of Jubilee, and he shall give your valuation on that day as a holy offering to the Lord. And the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought. And it goes back to the original owner, the one who owned the land as a possession. And all your valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 20 giras to the shekel. And so here... It's land that you've leased. You've dedicated it to the Lord. You could, uh, from the priest's valuation of it, his estimation of the cost of how many harvests that would be, how much value the harvest would be by the sowing of the seed, then he could always redeem it. But no matter the fact, once the year of Jubilee came, it went back to the original owner. The original owner could lease it again and start the process all over again. But leased land always ended up in the original person's inherited land. Basically, you can't give away something that doesn't belong to you. In a sense, it belonged to them in the sense that they leased the land for a determined period of time. Then they had a legal possession of it, but only a possession of the lease. So no one was able to dedicate to God that which did not belong to them. Also, they had the freedom to dedicate a portion or all the land. A portion or all the land. Now that was verse 16. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the field, he didn't have to give everything. And that reminded me of Ananias and Sapphira in uh, the book of Acts. In Acts 5, verses 3 through 4, If you remember the accounts of that, Barnabas had sold a house, possession, property, gave it to the church, gave everything to the church. They so loved this man. They nicknamed him the son of encouragement. And there was a couple in the church that did not like the attention that Barnabas was getting 
So they sold some property and acted like they gave everything when they held back parts. But Peter's response to Ananias, he says, Acts 5, 3 through 4, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but lied to God. That cost Ananias and Sapphira their lives. God always seemed to judge harshly at the beginning of new works that he was doing, whether in the Old or New Testament. And we'll read about that as we get into Numbers and Deuteronomy. But uh, what Peter said to Ananias while it was remained, while you owned, owned the house, it was yours. And when you sold the house, the money was yours. Why did you conceive this thing, say that you gave your all when you did not? You're actually lying to God, not to men. That's why Jesus counseled us when making oaths, Matthew 5, 34 through 37. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. My body seems to be pretty good about doing the white stuff, but I have nothing to do with that. Verse 37, let your yes be yes, your no, no, for whatever is more of these is from the evil one. So making pledges, making oaths to the Lord. If you make it to the Lord, the Lord is going to hold you to it. I'd mentioned uh, in the radio broadcast yesterday, briefly of my dad having heart surgery and uh, praying a prayer to God. So this was his vow to God. If you make me as good a man as I am today, I'll serve you all the days of my life. And then I just simply said two years later, Dad committed his heart to Jesus and became a pastor of the church. And what I did not say was that Sunday morning when he was shaving, getting ready for church, he saw the scar of his heart surgery that began just under his right breast and actually wrapped around to just beyond um, his back on the left side. So it was a pretty big scar pioneer days of heart surgery and it was a thick and raised scar and dad said that morning he saw that scar in the mirror he saw it as Noah's rainbow and then the Lord spoke to him and said I've kept my word now you keep yours and that Sunday morning he went forward and gave his heart not to be saved but dedicated his life to the ministry because of a vow that he has made and God said all right, I want you to hold up. I've done my part. That was my dad's word. I've done my part. Now you do yours. That's what how he would describe it. So making those commitments, if you're going to make it to the Lord or to anyone, be men and women of our word. I think that's so important today. There's a lot of people who could care less. But as Christians, let's be men and women of our word. 
So firstborn animals, devoted things, ties, it kind of wraps up this chapter. First, dealing with firstborn animals, verses 26 and 27. But the firstborn of the animals, which should be the Lord's firstborn, it is. It's a nice way of saying it, I think. It should be the Lord's firstborn. No man shall dedicate. You can't dedicate to God what already belongs to him, basically. Whether it is ox or sheep, it is the Lord. If it is unclean animal, donkey, camel, mule, then he shall redeem it according to the valuation and add one-fifth to it. If it is not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to the valuation. And and in another point in Leviticus, a donkey, a mule, unclean animals, if they didn't present the firstborn to the Lord, then they were to break its neck. So you might as well, you know, present it to the Lord that it could be sold and used for the temple because it all belonged to the Lord. The firstborn animals could not be dedicated to Yahweh because Yahweh already deemed them as belonging to him as they did with the firstborn son. Now the firstborn son they had to redeem with the valuation, the price set for the son. They weren't to leave their babies at the temple, but they were to redeem them. So the clean animals, ox, sheep, goats, were offered as a sacrifice to the Lord, could not be redeemed. The unclean animals, not suitable for sacrifice, donkeys, mules, camels, etc., could be redeemed at their valuated price plus 20% or sold for the valuation. And that money would stay and remain with the priest. Devoted offerings, verses 28 and 29. Nevertheless, no devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has, both man and beast, or a field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. No person under the ban who has become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed. He shall surely be put to death. So this one's a little trickier. So I went back to the original Hebrew in chapter 27, and I pulled out key words that we've been looking at that uh, in verse 2, if a man, when a man consecrates a vow to the Lord, that word consecrate, that's one of the key words. In verse 14, if a man dedicates, that's another key word in the Hebrew. And then here in verse 28, the word that is used in verse 28, devoted offering. So three different types In verse 2 of Leviticus 27, the Hebrew word properly means to separate, to distinguish. It's translated as consecrate. It's been separated unto the Lord. This belongs to the Lord. In verse 14, the Hebrew word literally means to be clean, separate, or holy, and speaks about those things that have been dedicated to God. And you could dedicate people as... Hannah dedicated her firstborn son, Samuel, to the Lord. You could dedicate, we read about this, things, objects to the Lord, land, houses, but they've been set apart to the Lord. And here in verse 28, kerim is the Hebrew word, I probably said the Hebrew bad, 
but that is a hard K-H guttural sound, and I don't do guttural sounds, so I'll never be able to do Hebrew. It's why I didn't do well in Hebrew in school. Just can't pull out those guttural sounds. I don't know why. This refers to an object doomed. And so the Hebrew word here, um, it says nicely devoted to the Lord in chapter 27, but actually it's something that has been doomed to total destruction by Yahweh. Jericho, when they enter into the promised land, in Joshua 6, 17, and 19, the same word is used here. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. All she and all who are with her in her house because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you by all means abstain from the accursed things. These have been doomed by God. Same word found here in Leviticus 27, 28 for the city of Jericho, doomed by God, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. These are all key things. That verse 18, it's all going to click in a moment. You abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. Verse 19, but all the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So what happened in the very next chapter? We discover that Achan had took some of the dedicated things. Joshua 7, 15 and 20 and 21. Then they shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing, the accursed thing, the same word, used here as uh, in verse 28, devoted to the Lord, same word, he who has taken the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed against the covenant of the Lord, because he has done disgraceful thing in Israel. Verse 20, Achan was the one by Lot fell to him, and Joshua said to Achan, indeed, Uh, confess and Achan answered Joshua indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I have done when I saw the spoils of a beautiful Babylonian garment 200 shekels of silver a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels I coveted them took them and here they are buried or hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with this silver under it and they raised up stones All of Israel stoned this man and his family to death, all his possessions. They raised up a great heap of pile over Achan. And then 1 Chronicles 2.7 refers to him as the troubler of Israel. What did verse 18 say? Lest you become accursed, take of the accursed thing, the doomed thing, Make the camp of Israel accursed. Well, how did he make the camp of Israel accursed? When they went to try to take the city of Ai, they were routed and soundly defeated in the first battle. So his sin caused all of Israel to fall under the judgment of God. And then he troubled the camp, verse 18 of Joshua 6. And in 1 
Chronicles 2.7, he's called the troubler of Israel. And that pile of stones stood as a memorial of one man's disobedience to God and the cost that that can have on the whole nation. And that's true, you know, in families as well. Good man will give good gifts to his children, to his children's children, but a bad man can do the opposite for his children and children. When we were me on the board of love in the name of Christ and uh, helping people with great need in our county, sometimes we were dealing with people who were third and fourth generation welfare recipients. That's just all they know. And we were trying to help them to break the cycle. So that Kyrim, whether a man, beast, or field, could not be redeemed. That word actually means it's doomed for destruction. Uh, one of the commentators believed that this portion here of 28 and 29 of Leviticus 27 actually refers to uh, all of Israel, like the city of Jericho, that was Kyrim, that was dedicated or doomed, belonging to the Lord, that an individual couldn't make that. But I couldn't really uh, see that argument, but that could be a possibility. So we finish out talking about tithing. I love dealing with tithing, and I don't talk about it too much because when you go through the whole of the Bible and you teach through it verse by verse, you really don't come to a lot of passages of Scripture that talks about tithing to the Lord. And so if you solely just touch on the subject as you're going through the Bible, then this is one of those rare moments. It is for me. So 30 through 34, we'll read the context. All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithe, he shall add one-fifth to it. That's pretty steep, God. And concerning the tenth of the herd or of the flock and whatever passes under the rod, remember, we already talked about this. You got 10 animals, uh, oxen or sheep or goat. Let them come under the rod. They're counting them. That's what the rod means. They're counting as they come under. Number 10 always belongs to the Lord. The 10th shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it's good or bad. It could be the most beautiful sheep he has or the ugliest one he has. God I'll says, I'll take the ugly. I'll take the good. doesn't matter to me. It shall not be exchanged. If he exchanges it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. So I doubt if anyone, unless they wanted to give a double offer, offering, I doubt if anyone ever tried to exchange. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. And so this is just a wrap-up Verse at the end of the book of Leviticus, verse 34. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. So as a pastor, I'm awful, often been questioned about tithing. How much should you tithe? And uh, I, I believe tithe, I mean, it means 10. 
And you can make it whatever you want it to mean, I guess. But that's what the word means. Now, I read many years ago that the most giving state in our union is Mississippi, one of the poorest states in our union. And the average gift, tithe, we might say, donations, and this is any donation to any, um, could be a hospital, it could be a church, uh, any 501c3 that they may have. But there in Mississippi, the average is 3%. So they look at Mississippi, it's amazing, the poorest state in our union deemed. They don't have a lot of money in the south in Mississippi, but they give more percentage-wise than the rest. And so that changes throughout our country, depending on where you live. But two Prominent occurrences of the book of Genesis attest to the giving of the tenth. First, it was Abram giving a tenth of his spoils from the battle when he went to um, get his nephew Lot and the people of Sodom that were captured by the four kings, that when he returned from that battle with the spoils of the battle, he gave a tenth of the spoils to Melchizedek, in Genesis 14:20, and also it's referred to in Hebrews 7, 2, and 6. And second was Jacob, who devoted a tenth to the Lord when he didn't even have any wealth. Remember when he slept that night in Bethel and used a rock as a pillow and then dreamed of the ladder to heaven and then woke up and said, I, I was sleeping in the house of God and I didn't even know it. And he set up that stone put oil on it, anointed it, named the place Bethel, house of God, and said, Lord, if you bring me back to the land, whatever I acquire while I'm gone, he didn't know he'd be gone for 20 years, but he came back with quite a bit of wealth. He said, a tenth of it shall be yours. And so we see it practiced in the book of Genesis by Abram and also by Jacob. And in the Mosaic Law, God required a tenth of all the produce, flock, cattle. Um, And I don't think there's a clear example of the counting of that. So, you know, whatever passes under the rod, you know, you can get your wallet out. Now we don't carry cash anymore. I'm so glad I had cash in my wallet the other day. Lily and I were at Walmart, and I went not even paying attention to anything other than I want to check out, let's go. And I'm checking out, and she goes, this is cash only. It's like, good, I have cash. I rarely don't (laughs) anymore. So I may have gotten in trouble, but we went on a trip, had some extra cash left, and was able to pay for our groceries. That was good. But counting that out, very simple to do. So the Mosaic Law requires that. In the counting of the animals of the herd, a tenth belonged to the Lord. Whether good or bad, a tenth of the animals belonged to the Lord. And so God spoke about this in Malachi. Israel didn't live up to this. In Malachi 3, 8, and 9, will a man rob God? Yet how have we robbed you? You will say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, the Lord answered. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So my lesson of tithing, I knew what the Bible said about it early on. I I was raised in church. I knew what God said. 
When I got my dollar a week allowance as a kid, I could give up a dime. It didn't hurt me too much. When at the end of the month, we got the bonus $5, 50 cents wasn't that much of a take of the five. I always had enough money to go down to Zippy's, there's a hamburger place in Zion, get the Zuper burger and fries, extra pickles, no onions. Uh, it's not around anymore, but it was a good hamburger back in the day. But it was easy to give back to the Lord. But when I started working at Jewel Food Store there in Zion, about a year later, my dad asked me, are you tithing on the income that you're earning? And it's like, well, no. And so I got challenged by my dad that day and accepted that challenge. And it's a practice that I brought into our marriage and something that I tell you, I think Lily's better at it than I am. She handles our income, so that probably makes it that way. But she keeps reminding me um, we wanted to gift far-reaching ministries, and she gifted another ministry. She's already got that money going to them, and she left far-reaching ministries because that's coming from me. Uh, for me, you got that set up yet? She's asked me a few times, so maybe I'll get around to it because of this. Uh, a good ministry to gift if you are able. So something that Lily and I have lived by, I asked my parents about it. I asked my mom about it. When she was at our house, she was on hospice care. I was just trying to get information out of her. And uh, I asked her when you guys started tithing. And she said that they started tithing after my dad's heart surgery. After his heart surgery, he had to take a less strenuous job. So 1960s, he went from $100 a week to $70 a week. And at that time, told my mom, I think we should start tithing. And uh, I just imagined my mom at the time thinking, this isn't smart, John, because she, she handled the money and she was pretty good with handling it. And uh, mom said to dad, let's test it for a year. And she told me when I asked her when she was in our home uh, under hospice care before she passed away, she said, we tested the Lord for a year and we've never stopped giving. So my mom had that testimony, my mom and dad. I didn't know that testimony until uh, my mom was 75 years old, but I'm glad I asked and I'm glad she told me. So bring all the ties into the storehouse, Malachi 3.10, that there may be food in my house. Try me in this, the Lord said. If I will not open up for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So a review of Leviticus. I don't have a lot of notes for this, but just kind of drop back on a few things that we've learned while going through the book of Leviticus. I said this from the beginning, even before we got into the book of Leviticus, that many Christians overlook the book of Leviticus because they think all it is is about the rules, the sacrificial laws. They seem to be, for some, maybe redundant and boring. And yet this book helps us to better understand the uniqueness of Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross, seeing that he is a fulfillment of these Old Testament sacrifices. Therefore, to explore... The rules, the sacrifices that are found in the book of Leviticus, it helps us to better understand the works of Jesus and his un, 
unrelenting love for us. The book of Leviticus, without doubt, is one of the most neglected books of the Old Testament. This came, I'm reading from Holman Bible Handbook. Most neglected book of the Old Testament precisely because modern Christians fail to see what relevance it has to contemporary life. When one realizes, however, that its principal themes or ideals, the holiness of God and the covenant with his people, the demands for holy living are timeless and irrevocable. The book becomes immediately evident. And God chose Israel to be a servant people, to represent him and his saving purposes on the earth. The same God in Jesus Christ has redeemed a people to this day to serve a corresponding function. The sacrifices, rituals, ceremonies, holy days may have lost their legal status, Holman says, for the church, but the principles of holiness, they embody and demonstrate, they are embodied and demonstrated are principles that must characterize the people of the Lord in every of every generation if they are to serve him effectively as salt and light. So the book of Leviticus, I've said this, basically a priest and worshiper's handbook. And the first of the book to be studied by Jewish children. This is the one they want them to study. Kindergarten, first book, what'd you learn? Book of Leviticus. That's interesting. The title Leviticus comes from the Latin Vulgate, meaning he and he called. And that's the first Hebrew word in this book. The very first Hebrew word means and he called. And so in the Latin Leviticus, the word is taken from the first Hebrew word of the book of Leviticus. The overall theme is holiness to the Lord. The book is divided into two sections. Chapters 1 through 16 teaches worshipers how to worship a holy God. 17 through 27 teaches worshipers how to walk before our holy God. Key words in the book of Leviticus, I checked these out again today. They're all taken from Strong's Concordance. So offering. Offerings, um, those words are found 323 times. Priest or priest, plural, found 189 times. Holy, referred to as 95 times. Blood, mentioned 87 times. Atonement, found 51 times. Sacrifice or sacrifices, 47 times. The practical purpose of the book is to teach the worshiper how to properly worship God. And what qualifies or disqualifies a person from worship, and we find that the clean versus the unclean, chapters 1 through 16, and how worshipers were to worship God in their day-to-day lives, 17 through 27, so another way to divide the book. Six offerings are expanded upon, expounded upon in the book. Really, one is not expounded upon, five are, but one is mentioned, and it was always part of the offerings, but it really isn't drawn out in Leviticus. So that one is a drink offering. It's mentioned, but not really talked much more than a mention. The other five offerings are the first five chapters, one for each chapter in order, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the 
peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Leviticus 27, consecrate yourself, therefore, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So holiness is the theme. The book of Leviticus is referenced about 40 times in the New Testament, points to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. One of those is found here in Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the thing, can never with the same sacrifices which they offered continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sin. They wouldn't have to come back year by year. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of the sins every year for it is not possible that by the blood of bulls and goats that sin could be taken away. So kind of the center of Leviticus, if you were to open up the single book as a book, the center is uh, maybe not technically, but the center theme, chapter 16, the Day of Atonement, chapter 17, especially because of verse 11, which talks about the redemption by the blood. So 16 and 17, the center of Leviticus. And therefore, the book kind of mirrors itself if you close it in from 16 and 17 and then open it back up again. You'd find it this way, verses chapters 1 through 5, the worshiper's role in sacrificial offerings. It describes the worshiper's role in sacrificial offerings. 6 through 7, the priest's role in sacrificial offerings. 8 through 15, there's the distinction between the clean and the unclean. 16 and 17, we have the Day of Atonement and the Sanctity of the Blood. 18 through 20, we have distinction between the holy and the propane. Propane. Profane. (laughs) I was thinking in my head and messed me right up. So you can compare 18 through 20 with 8 through 15. You had distinction between clean and unclean. And then 18 through 20, between holy and profane. Almost said it again, profane. 20 and 21, we have the priest again and the importance of their moral purity as they serve the Lord. 23 through 27, Israel worships in the land, how the people worship. So it began with the people, how they worship. Here we have Israel worshiping in the land through their feast days, the tabernacle, Sabbaths, Jubilee, and their obedience and redemption of their offerings. Theologians call 17 through 26, technically, some take it to 27, because there's only one more chapter, the holiness code, how the people should conduct themselves in everyday life. So 17 through 26, the holiness code. In the book of Leviticus, God commanded the priest that they were to be holy five times, Leviticus 6, 18, 27, 21, 6. It's mentioned two times there in 21, 8. And the priests were to be holy five times. Likewise, he commanded the people to be holy five times, Leviticus 11, 44, verse 45, 19, verse 2, 20, verse 7, 20, verse 6. I did that backwards, 6 and 7. Yet how does a priest, how does a person walk 
in righteousness before our holy God? Well, it's by keeping the statutes, ordinances, judgments laid out by the Lord here in the book of Leviticus. All right, we're going to wrap it up with this. This is a neat thing. We ended the book of Exodus with Moses being put out of the tabernacle. If you remember the very last thing that Moses did in the book of Exodus, they set up the tabernacle and in Exodus 40, 34 and 35, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Exodus ends with the people not being able to have access to God or worship of God. Even Moses, the friend of God, the man who spoke to the Lord face to face, was put out. But at the beginning of Numbers, Numbers chapter 1, now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they come out of the land of Egypt, saying, so Numbers 1.1, Moses is back in. What's the difference? What's the bridge? The book of Leviticus, how a people are able to worship a holy God who is in the midst of their nation. According to Paul, the law is a tutor to bring us to Christ until the time of Christ. So whether talking about the daily sacrifices that were offered by the priest of Israel, the individual sacrifices offered up by the people, the day of atonement that was offered by the high priest once every year, the repetitive nature, by the way, today is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the repetitive nature of these sacrifices, technically it's over, sundown's done. I got to get in the Jewish mind here. Uh, Right before we came to church, before it was dark out, it was Yom Kippur, but now it's dark, so it's not anymore. The repetitive nature of these sacrifices reveals that sins are merely covered, not removed, and they always come at a cost. So Galatians 3.24, the law is a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And as a tutor, these sacrifices, these offerings found in the law They help to bring us to Jesus. Let's go ahead and stand together. If you're listening on the radio tonight, if you're watching via video, have a prayer request, um, have questions, please go to our website at cclv at cclv.org. I was going to give you our email address, but you can find all that information there at our website, cclv.org. O-R-G. This coming Sunday, we pick up in our chronological journey through the Gospels. Luke 7, verses 1 through 27, I titled this sermon, Great Faith. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this study, allowing us to get through the book of Leviticus. And Lord, if you should tarry, bless us as we continue on studying now in the book of Numbers. But bless us, we pray, Lord, bless our families, bless our churches, Uh, that we are part of. Also, Lord, this nation, this nation is being troubled, Lord, and uh, a lot of people are hurting, and we're seeing the effects uh, upon our economy. 
And it's impacting, Lord, not only individuals and families and churches and ministries and businesses, and the list just goes on and on and on. So, Father, we look to you for our help and our hope, as always. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.